0: Hi everyone. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. I'm
1: Candy Chang, executive producer.
0: And I'm Kevin Hines, producer and editor.
1: We're doing things a little differently this episode, filling in for our host Emily Chang.
0: For this episode, we went to Uber's headquarters in downtown San Francisco to record an exclusive interview between Emily and Uber CEO Dara Khazrahi. Candy, I thought it was fascinating to be inside the HQ and hear about how many moving parts go into Uber's business.
1: Yeah, and hear how optimistic he is despite a disappointing performance since the. IPO earlier this year. Now, this was a wide-ranging conversation about driver protests. Former CEO Travis Kalanick, Uber Eats, self-driving
0: cars. Uber Elevate. Yeah, an on-demand helicopter.
1: Now, this interview was a big one.
0: Here's Emily Chang with Uber CEO Dara khazr Ten
2: years ago, Travis Kalanick and Garrett Camp launched Uber Cab, an elite black car service in San Francisco. Within five years, Uber had a shortened name and had completed one billion rides. Two years after that, the number grew to five billion across 600 cities and 70 countries. It became one of the fastest growing startups ever. Services ballooned to cover nearly all modes of transportation, carpool, helicopters, even water taxis. But all that growth came with many challenges. Regulators and taxi drivers fiercely protested Uber's expansion. This on top of multiple investigations for deceiving authorities, price transparency violations, bribery, and reports of sexual harassment. Investors pushed out Kalanick, the once-untouchable CEO and founder, and in 2017, former Expedia CEO Dara Shahi was brought in to fix it. He's brought in new management, worked to rebuild trust and reputation. Still, it hasn't been an entirely smooth ride. A big flashy IPO sparked excitement, but ultimately investors were not impressed. Now the job is to prove them wrong. Joining me today on Bloomberg Studio 1.0 at Uber headquarters in downtown San Francisco, Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi. So, it's been a long two years. Two years ago, it was announced that you would be replacing former CEO Travis Kalanick. And even you've admitted you were the unlikely, dark horse, even accidental choice. So, two years later, did they make the right choice? And did you make the right choice?
3: (laughs) I know I made the right choice, and I hope that they made the right choice. I'm confident that they did. Um, This was, you can never prepare yourself for a job like this, and Uber is a once in a generation company. Uh, But it's been a great two years for us. We have resolved all of the governance conflicts that the company had. There were many legal issues that the company was involved with as well. Uh, We got SoftBank in as a partner, and you want SoftBank to be behind you, and a big partner, and a big investor. Uh, And We have a great investor base. We've taken the company public, uh, and the company revenue, gross bookings have grown 75% since I joined. Uh, we now have a path to profitability, I believe. Uh, so while we've had bumps on the road, uh, and every adventure has bumps on the road, I like where we are, and I especially like the position that we're in now for the next years.
2: There have been bumps on the road, and, and despite all the negative stories, Uber, Lyft, ride-sharing companies have been transformational. The big question for you is, can Uber be as transformational over the next decade as it has been over the last decade?
3: I think so. I mean, really what Uber has done is brought transportation and opportunity at this point to what we believe is a small segment of population. Listen, we've got over 4 million driver partners all over the world, uh, which is a huge number, and it's unparalleled. But we want Uber to be available to everybody. Uh, and what we're doing now is going into the next step of introducing other transportation choices to Uber. We've always gone with pool, but for example, we're testing buses in Cairo now to even bring the price of Uber down to the next level, a dollar, a buck fifty, et cetera.
2: So I guess the question is, can Uber be so transformational and stop losing money? I mean, the prices sound very attractive. but. Can you create a good business where the rides are a dollar, a dollar fifty?
3: Yes, if you look at our rideshare business, it covered our overhead less about hundred million dollars. And so the rideshare business itself uh, is turning quite profitable, and we believe that the profits of the rideshare business not only are going to grow top line, but we believe that you're going to grow bottom line as well. And then there are other businesses. Eats, uh, autonomous, freight, et cetera. These are extraordinary opportunities that we're funding, but I do believe that we're gonna prove to our investors that we can take on a serial basis, big parts of our business, turn them profitable, use those parts of our business, to fund investments in other areas.
2: Still, there are execution issues. You just had your biggest quarterly loss ever, $5.2 mm-hmm. billion. The stock has been trading below its IPO price much more often than not. Investors seem to love shorting it. You've got hiring freezes on various teams. You've fired some of your, or at least some of your top hires mm-hmm. have left. Mm-hmm. How confident are you that Uber can be profitable and how uh, quickly?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm very we... confident. So I think the losses that we reported, it was a $5 billion loss from an accounting perspective. If you live in accounting world, that's a big loss. I live in the real world. And actually, in the real world, our EBITDA losses, 656, were lower than Q1, and we're on a good path in terms of our EBITDA losses as well. But you're absolutely right. None of this is going to be easy. All of this is going to take excellent execution from all of our teams, marketing, technology, et cetera. And we are going to be demanding our employees to be doing even more with less and to execute incredibly effectively in order for us to grow the top line and the bottom line as well
2: so is pricing the main lever that you pull to profitability or are there other drivers
3: scale scale it's it's getting big when you've got over a billion rides per quarter and you've got trips growing at 35 percent on a year on year basis we think we can use technology to be much more efficient for example instead of now you're having to email a call center agent, or call a call center agent if you have issues, you can just do it in the app. These are technology innovations that allow customers to have a better experience, and at the same time they bring down costs. So the combination of growing top line still over 30%, technology innovation to delight the customer and take costs down at the same time, and then good old fashioned efficiency, making sure that our corporate costs don't grow as fast as our revenue, all of those together give you a formula to get to profitability.
2: So Uber's market cap is now 50-some billion dollars. Mm-hmm. There was talk it could be 120 billion dollars. Your compensation is, is in part tied to that. Can you still get there?
3: I believe we can. Uh, short term, as right now, short term, there's nothing that we can do about the stock price. There's an old saying that short term, uh, the stock market is a voting machine, long term it's a weighing machine. Uh, I am very confident that this team can execute and create a very heavy company that can never be denied.
2: So when? How long does it take to get I think
3: there? I think it's in the next couple of quarters are going to show a roadmap to investors, uh, but it will take years. This is on a short-term game, but I believe that we can demonstrate uh, progress. For example, I talked about our revenue, our adjusted net revenue growth accelerating in the second half of the year. Usually companies like ours, you don't see uh, revenue growth accelerate. But I talked about our revenue growth accelerating in the second half of the year beyond 30 percent. And we've always been consistent in saying that the bottom line EBITDA will continue to develop in a positive manner.
2: We're in the midst of escalating trade tensions. How exposed is Uber if the economy falters?
3: Our company is much more tied into the consumer. Uh, And the consumer right now in the U.S. is very strong. Uh, We're a very global company. The majority of our transactions actually are outside of the U.S. So we really look at global growth to the extent that global growth slows down. That could be a negative for us, although if global growth slows down, we're going to have more driver partners also wanting to come onto the platform because we, uh, we expose very, very flexible labor opportunities. So I do think that the growth of the company is such that we're going to be relatively resistant to any macro slowdown, and we're certainly not seeing any slowdown with the U.S. consumer as of yet.
2: So what's plan B if we're, we're in a full-blown trade war? Yeah. We've heard about investing in, in Vietnam or Brazil.
3: We're an asset-like company, right? So we don't actually have to go out and buy cars, etc. Uh, we'll obviously be wary and make sure that our driver partners can source vehicles in an economical way. Many of them source vehicles through the second-hand Uh, they'll source used vehicles, so to speak. So I don't think this trade war, we certainly haven't felt it, unless in very small parts of the business where we're importing bikes, for example, there's some additional expense there, but it's not having a material effect on the company and we're very confident of our growth over the next few quarters, trade war or no trade war.
2: You've asked the public to think about Uber, like the Amazon of transportation, but Mm -hmm. Amazon was an online bookstore for a very long time Mm -hmm. before they Mm -hmm. started doing all this other stuff. What if now isn't the right time to do this other stuff and that now is the right time to focus on the core?
3: Well, we've been in the ride-sharing business for a long time as well. And that business is absolutely developing and its profitability is developing. We're the top player in every single market in which we compete in. And generally, we're either holding share or taking share in those marketplaces. So we have a core business. That provides the framework for us to build multi billion dollar opportunities. And I think it'll be criminal if we don't take advantage of that. Um, you are seeing more and more apps and companies that are building ecosystems, uh, super apps, so to speak, especially in uh, the East, for example, in China. We right, believe you've got, that. have
2: got Grab trying to do a super app, Tencent, of course, with Weibo. Is absolutely. that a, a way to think Listen, about the Listen, the super the Uber apps are winning. The future? Yeah, the
3: super apps are winning. And we can be the super app of transportation, so to speak, that allows us to acquire customers at much cheaper rates than our competitors. It allows us to keep customers because we have more, a deeper relationship with them. And we think long-term, if you can acquire customers and keep them longer, that's just the winning uh, formula.
2: Uber Eats is what, 20, 30% of the business now?
3: Uh, Yes, and growing very quickly in the last quarter, bookings grew over 90% on a year-on-year basis. We're the largest global player out there. Uh, And we continue and the category of food, we believe can be as large or even larger than the ride sharing category. So we love that business and we continue to invest in it. So
2: there are so many competitors that do exactly what you do in this market and in other markets. Mm -hmm. What if you're just subsidizing our meals and you don't win the market share and this is just a giant hungry money pit?
3: (laughs) Uh, So early on, I think people could have accused the rides business of the same. Uh, it turns out that the RISE business, you see it with ourselves, you see it with Lyft, et cetera, it is moving towards a path of profitability. As you build these businesses when the potential is so big, there is some subsidization that goes into the marketplace in order to create efficiencies. You need to get eaters, you need to get couriers, you need to sign up restaurants, and there's investment that's required early on. Uh, Is there competition? Absolutely. But there's always going to be competition in big categories. We have the advantage because we have hundreds of millions of consumers on the ride side that we can essentially introduce to uh, our brand and let them know that there's more to Uber than just riding, but there's eating and other areas that you can enjoy.
2: Some of the businesses it seems like we hear less about, like scooters, for example. Haven't heard a lot about scooters Mm -hmm, lately. mm -hmm. What's the likelihood you do pull out of some of these businesses?
3: Every business is going to have to execute and carry its weight, so to speak. Uh, We're a big believer in micromobility, it's in the early days. Uh, We believe in electric bikes, we believe in electric scooters, and increasingly I think the mayors of the large cities all around the world are going to want to be interested in ways of moving people around that don't uh, pollute, uh, that don't create traffic, and we believe micromobility can be part of the solution.
2: Would you curtail international expansion in the short term?
3: Every part of our business has to fight for money. And if they're not deserving money, they're not going to get it. So believe me, internally, there's lots of creative destruction, there's lots of competition, and if one part of our business isn't carrying its own weight, uh, we will pull back. Listen, we pulled back out of China and we turned what was a $2 billion investment in cash into what can be a 10 plus billion dollar stake in Didi, which is a very big ride sharing business in China as well. So we are in the end, we're looking to build a business. We wanna build a business the right way. We wanna build a business in alignment with our driver partner, society, et cetera. But if something's not working, we believe we've demonstrated the financial discipline uh, to make the right call at the right time.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Studio 1.0. This is Emily Chang's conversation with Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi. Coming up, the conversation focuses in on some of the toxic issues at Uber and the challenges Dara has faced in his first two years as CEO.
1: And we hear all about the positives and negatives of a gig economy and why he thinks Uber drivers don't want to be full-time employees.
0: And Emily asks Dara if current board member and former CEO Travis Kalanick should still remain on the board.
1: Should he? Stay with us.
2: When we last visited, there was a driver protest outside. Uh, Democratic presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg was out there with him. He said, gig is another word for jobs. That means you're a worker and you ought to be protected as a worker. There is support for legislation that would force companies like Uber that rely on contract drivers and delivery people to make them full-time. Why shouldn't they be full-time?
3: Because they don't want to be full-time. Well, some do. Listen, some do. More than half of our drivers in the U.S., for example, drive less than 10 hours with us a week. And listen, right now California has a historic opportunity. We're at the table. We are having these discussions, and 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 we want to get to a solution. We're offering $21 minimum an hour when you're driving on the platform. We're offering benefits, and we're offering a voice as far as um, – what, how you're going to be treated going forward? It's 21 bucks an hour, compared to 12 bucks an hour minimum wage. Okay, this is not. This is real money, and these are real rights. And you get the flexibility that every single Uber driver or courier wants, because they can come into the market when they want to or out. Uh, this is a historic opportunity to, I think, revolutionize the gig economy. And I don't think gig is a type of work. To say that there's only one way to work and everyone needs to be full time, etc. I don't think that's, that's correct, because it takes away flexibility, and flexibility is absolutely something that all of our drivers prize.
2: And can you give them flexibility and give drivers and riders safety at the same time?
3: If uh, the legislature you know, uh, works in the interest of making something happen, absolutely. And you know that we're making very significant investments in safety as far as the safety center, tracking your ride, et cetera. And we believe that we are the leader and safety uh, as far as transportation goes in the world, and we'll continue to invest very aggressively there.
2: So we're going to talk a little bit more about the future, but before we go there, I want to talk a little bit more about the past. The Uber you took over had some toxic cultural issues, illegal payoffs to police officers, violence, sexual assaults, even murder on the platform, angry taxi drivers, and a management team that turned a blind eye to much of it in the name of growth at all costs, so-called brilliant jerks if you will. And yet there are some people who say that leadership was bolder, brasher, bigger thinking, maybe better. How do you respond to that?
3: I think time will tell. And I think that you need different kinds of management for different uh, times in the development of a company. Listen, the management, every management has their faults. I've got my faults. And every management team at the time has their faults. But the fact is, they built a great company. And now they've handed it to me, and I've got to take that great company and make it even greater. Uh, I think I'm up for the job. And while they made their mistakes, the fact is that they built a great brand uh, that had weaknesses and has incredible strengths. It's my job to take it to the next level.
2: Anthony Lewandowski, the guy who ran the trucking business that Uber bought, was just charged with stealing self-driving technology from Google, stealing trade secrets. What do you make of those charges?
3: Um, I wasn't here when we brought Anthony on board, but what I do know is that we went to incredible depths to make sure that any information that Anthony might have acquired from Google and it sure looked like he did, didn't make it over to our company. That was our responsibility and I think we were incredibly diligent in making sure that we were not guilty of anything that could be nefarious one way or the other. We think that when you build, you got to build the right way. Uh, Anthony's an incredibly talented person. It didn't work out, but I do think that we did the right thing within these walls.
2: Now, the person who was here and spearheaded that acquisition, and which might cost Uber $100 million and Mm -hmm. has already cost Mm -hmm. some credibility, is still on the board, Travis Kalanick. Mm -hmm. I asked you this on IPO day, but I feel like I have to ask it again. Do you question Travis's position on the board?
3: I think that, You know, I am going to live in the here and now. Uh, Travis has an incredible amount of historical knowledge about the company. Uh, He's incredibly bright, uh, as are our other board members. And I use him at the board. He's a very strong advisor. And his background of the company is incredibly useful. And I think he's supportive. Uh, You know, ultimately now we're a public company. And the shareholders are going to get to pick their own board. And that governance process will take care of itself going forward.
2: So you talk to him often?
3: I talk to him usually during board meetings and once in a while uh, offline, absolutely.
2: But he's on the board for now?
3: He's, he's on the board for now, and he's going to be on the board tomorrow.
2: You're listening to Bloomberg
1: Studio 1.0. This is Emily Chang's conversation with Dara Khosrowshahi, shahi
0: Uber CEO. Up next, we look to the future of transportation and hear about Uber's next big ideas.
1: We learn more about Dara's 10-year plan for Uber, which includes autonomous vehicles, revolutionizing freight, and the technological innovation that it will take to get us there.
0: And does Uber's profitability depend on the advent of self-driving technology? Stay with us.
2: So let's talk about the future then. Mm-hmm. Um, to those who say that Uber is a ride-sharing and food delivery company, what is Uber's next big idea?
3: I think that the ideas that we have right now in this building are plenty of big ideas. We've got ride-sharing, we've got food delivery, we've got micromobility, we've got autonomous. Uh, we've got freight revolutionizing how uh, truckers move around and how shippers ship product all over the world. We've got Elevate as well. We have an enormous number of big ideas and now it's execution time.
2: So where do you think most of the technological innovation is happening at Uber?
3: It is happening all over. What's unique about our business is that we are a combination of the digital and the physical uh, and the two coming together in unique ways. So we have Very interesting, for example, machine learning algorithms that are looking at supply and demand, live supply and demand in a city, uh, what riders are looking for and where they're located, and then giving uh, our drivers guidelines as to where to go in order to meet that demand. This matching of supply and demand in a dynamic way and the pricing that we have is something that's unique. We continue to innovate there. And then we innovate in very, very different spots, such as Elevate, as to how we can bring together different modes of transportation and tie them together, walking, driving to helicopter, for example, now to JFK.
2: So you're in charge of not just visualizing the future of transportation, but trying to get there and create that future. When you look into the future, what does the future of transportation look like?
3: We think we can bring it together. I believe that we can have that singular app where every morning when you wake up, any wave that you want to get from point A to point B, we can give you the information that is relevant to you with live pricing, inventory, etc. We now have mass transit in the app. So we're going to tell you mass transit you can take a subway, you can take a bus, you can take an Uber, you can take a pool, and, you know, if it's a long enough trip, you can take an elevator as well. We are uniquely positioned as a company to have all that information together, and we can do the same thing for transportation, we can do the same thing for local commerce, and with East, restaurants are only the beginning, and we can do the same thing for logistics. No other company in the world is positioned to solve local transportation, local commerce, and logistics as well and I think we're in a spearhead position to do so.
2: So where is Uber in five years? 10 years.
3: There's so much innovation and so much change going on that I'd have a hard time predicting for you what's gonna happen in the next year, right? Uh, but I do think that what you will see us is increasingly going to multi- multimodal modes of transportation. We are gonna open up our marketplace to third-party transportation providers because we're not gonna do it all ourselves. I think we're going to be much deeper partners in uh, with the cities in which we operate. We want to bring demand to public transit as well. Uh, We're going to have a much better enterprise solution as well, both in terms of businesses and health. And what you will see with Eats is moving beyond the category of just restaurants, although that's a very, very big category, into other categories of commerce as well. It's going to be a pretty exciting time, not just for the next year or five years, but for the next 10 years here. Uh, and it's really up to the teams here. It's my job to bring together the talent who can help me envision that 10-year future.
2: And does the future of profitability, does profitability depend on self-driving car technology, the advent of self-driving car technology, or are those two things separate? I
3: think think we can get to profitability before self-driving, for example, becomes the majority of trips, but I think that if you look forward and if you want to bring safety on the road, increase it, because the number of people who die in accidents in the U.S. and abroad, um, there's just no reason to have that many people hurt. Uh, Most accidents are caused by human error, uh, and we can avoid that. We can avoid that with computers and technologies, and at the same time, we can take the cost per mile down pretty significantly. So fast forward 10, 15 years from now, autonomous is going to be a huge part of how people get around. It'll be cheaper, it'll be safer. Why not invest now to make that happen?
2: But can you get to profitability without self-driving technology?
3: Fifteen years from now, no. Any transportation company that doesn't have self-driving as part of its strategy, and that's why we have ATG, we can build out our self-driving technology specifically to serve our network, um, and and that's a huge advantage that we have. Uh, But any company 15 years from now that's in the transportation space that doesn't have strong self-driving strategy, whether they build it themselves or they work with someone, isn't going to be around for long.
2: So I know I'm asking you to think big, big picture now, but... In the history of Silicon Valley, in the, in the, in the Uber pantheon, how are we gonna look back on today, your two-year Uberversary?
3: Uh, you'll say that every great company has to go through tough times. Uh, you know, you look at Facebook, you look at Amazon even five years after their IPO, all of them went through periods where companies are tested. This is, this is the moment where uh, the metal of Uber is tested, And I'm very confident that we're going to come out of this stronger than we ever have been before.
2: Dara Khosrowshahi, thank you so much for joining us here on Studio 1.0.
3: Thank you very much. (laughs) Appreciate it.
1: Studio 1.0 is produced and edited by Kevin Hines.
0: Our executive producer is Candy Chang. Our managing editor is Danielle Culbertson.
1: Our host and executive producer is Emily Chang. This This is is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.